Welcome to the roundtable discussion with the faculty of the Educational Initiative, Management of Hyponatremia in Hospitalized Patients, Role of Pharmacists in Improving Patient Care. This discussion was produced by ASHP Advantage and supported by an educational grant from Otsuka America Pharmaceutical Incorporated. It was recorded in December 2011 during the 46th ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting and Exhibition in New Orleans. Hello, my name is Joe Dasta. I'm a professor emeritus at The Ohio State University College of Pharmacy in Columbus, an adjunct professor at the University of Texas College of Pharmacy in Austin. I'm pleased to serve on the faculty and as chair of this educational initiative. Joining me today is Dr. Michael Colley, who's an associate professor of clinical pharmacy at the Philadelphia College of Pharmacy and at the University of Sciences in Philadelphia. Mike, welcome. Thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. And also with us is Dr. Henry Cohn, who is Professor of Pharmacy Practice at the Arnold Marie Schwartz College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences at Long Island University, Brooklyn. He also serves as Chief Pharmacotherapy Officer, Kingsbrook Jewish Medical Center. Henry, welcome as well. Thank you, Joe. Glad to be here today. So, Dr. Colley, as we get started, could you please describe what hyponatremia is? Yeah, sure, Joe. Uh, Hyponatremia is an electrolyte disorder traditionally when the serum sodium is less than 135 milliequivalents per liter. There's relatively three types of hyponatremia, but some people actually look at four types. The three major types are hypovolemic hyponatremia, euvolemic hyponatremia, and hypervolemic hyponatremia. Uh, The differences between them are that the hypovolemic hyponatremia usually has a low amount of body water and a low amount of serum sodium. The euvolemic hyponatremia usually has an increased amount of fluid and and usually a normal amount of serum sodium within the body, and the patients are not edematous. And the third is the hypervolemic hyponatremia, where you have an increased total body water and increased sodium. The fourth one I kind of want to mention on the side, which is important that a lot of people don't think of, is pseudohyponatremia. Pseudohyponatremia is usually a falsely decreased serum sodium that is caused by a couple uh, various uh, uh, physiological disorders, one being hyperlipidemia, another one being hypertriglyceridemia, and a third one would be hyperglycemia. So that's relatively those, those are the major hyponatremia states that we have. Did that that's answer no, that's your a good okay. overview. Okay. It, it sounds like it's a complex uh, situation. I wonder how often pharmacists are involved with the clinical management of patients whose sodium uh, goes down. I've I've been at programs where I've asked that question, and it seems that pharmacists are very involved and engaged with other electrolytes such as hypokalemia. They're involved with developing protocols or guidelines. They've seen the problems associated with excessive administration of potassium, for example, and they want to try to avoid that. Uh, From the pathophysiology and and such as you've mentioned, uh, it would seem that hyponatremia could have equal number of problems associated with its management from the standpoint of uh, administering too much too quickly of sodium and various consequences of that. So I suspect pharmacists need to maybe rethink about the relevance, importance, the magnitude of this particular electrolyte and and maybe consider it equally important as they do with potassium, uh, magnesium, calcium, and, and other electrolyte disorders. 
So, Dr. Cohen, I understand that there are many drugs that can cause a type of hyponatremia called SIADH, and a large fraction of this category would be antidepressants, antipsychotic, and, and anti-epileptic drugs. Uh, do all of this class of drugs cause SIADH, and how do the patients normally present? Yes, Joe. Um, all the antidepressants have been associated with SIADH, syndrome of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone. And when we say all the antidepressants or terminology used are cyclic antidepressants, we mean the tricyclic antidepressants, the SSRIs or the serotonin selective reuptake inhibitors, the SNRIs, the selective norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, and even the agents that work via dopaminergic tracts like bupropion have also been associated with SIDH. Similarly, both the first and the newer second-generation antipsychotic agents have also been associated with SIDH, and you will often see a plethora of case reports in the literature with all of those agents. When looking at the antiepileptic drugs, clearly the most notorious offenders are carbamazepine and plausibly, to a greater extent, oxcarbazepine. These agents can have an incidence of 25 to 30 percent of patients experiencing hyponatremia. Out of interest, clearly a patient who's hyponatremic may be at risk of depression, and a patient who's hyponatremic may also be at risk of seizures, and you can see the relationships with both of these classes of drugs. On the other hand, a drug like phenytoin might actually be used for diabetes insipidus and may be used in a, in, in a different fashion. As far as the usual presentation, most patients with uh, early uh, uh, SIDH or mild SIDH will present with some nausea or vomiting, some GI disturbances, and some malaise. As the levels drop of, of sodium, uh, these patients can present with disorientation, confusion, cognitive disturbances. Uh, they can present with depression and headaches. And the more severe forms of hyponatremia or SIDH uh, will present with seizures, lethargy, and possibly coma. So, Henry, you've done some work in the area that suggests that hyponatremic patients are prone to falling. And I wonder, is this something that pharmacists should be interested in, and if so, why? Well, Joe, falls are a major concern in, in hospitals today, both in acute care facilities and long-term care facilities. The CDC has done some work looking at the incidence of falls, and what they found is that about 3.5% of males and about 5.5% of females will have an injurious, non-fatal fall. When looking at our facility, we did a study looking at our patients for a one-year period, and we did a retrospective chart review on patients who fell. We had over 360 falls, and about 25% of those patients had a sodium level between 130 and 135, and about 1% of those patients had sodium levels between 120 and 125. So we found a positive correlation with falls and hyponatremia. Indeed, when looking at a lot of falls assessments that are risk factors that are done when patients are admitted into a facility, clearly cognitive dysfunction, gait disturbances are a major cause of falls, and that correlates well with hyponatremia. Well, I think we've tried to set up the stage for what the disease is, what some of the causes are. There have been probably in the last four or five years several studies trying to assess the, the economic burden of patients who are hyponatremic. And they all say the same thing. They say that patients who's either admitted with hyponatremia or develop hyponatremia during their hospital stay have worse outcomes, longer lengths of stay, and associated higher costs. 
which is true whether it's uh, patients perhaps with pneumonia-associated hyponatremia or SIDH or other kinds of causes. Um, the economics uh, suggest that it's a problem that um, perhaps if treated might uh, minimize some of the, the cost burdens. Now, one, there's very little data on management uh, of hyponatremia and its associated cost effects, except uh, for some preliminary work that I've been involved with that suggests that in patients with heart failure who are hyponatremic, the administration and use of a vasopressin receptor antagonist have an associated cost reduction in their total uh, hospital stay with three or four days uh, of a vasopressin receptor antagonist. And this is at least the first glimpse into therapy that might reduce uh, the incidence of the disease and associated cost. This concludes this part of the roundtable discussion. If you'd like to hear more about managing hyponatremia in hospitalized patients, please listen to the other two parts of this podcast series. In addition, a web-based continuing pharmacy education activity based on the Mid-Year Symposium will be available in February 2012. To access this activity and other educational opportunities on this topic, visit the web portal at www.ashpadvantage.com forward slash hyponatremia.